Hello, everyone, and welcome to What's New in Cloud FinOps with myself, Stephen Old. And Franck Contrepoix. Hi, Frank. Uh, people might be thinking this one's a little bit late, as this is our September update. There were lots of news in September. I don't want to say when we're actually recording this, but <laughs> in our defence, um, six weeks ago, we welcomed uh, my little son, Sebastian, to the world. And things have been a bit topsy-turvy. Um, so we are now recording, getting ourselves up to date in the next week, aren't we, Frank? Oh, yes. And, yeah. and you need to explain me topsy-turvy. Topsy-turvy means all over the place, kind of. Okay. Roly-boly. So for our listeners, which are not native breed, here we go. There we go. Stop Every day is a learning day. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I will start it off. We're just going to go through a load of news today because there's, there's quite a lot. Uh, and we've got a lot of um, podcast catch-up on. So I will start with AWS cost categories introduces split charge rules, allocation of shared costs. So anyone that's been really trying to do chargeback and maybe um, either has like global platform services or set up their account structure prior to defining that they needed to charge back and therefore can't just use by account have always had a challenge that there are shared costs that can't easily be allocated to specific accounts or to specific projects departments however you want to look at it um, and so cost categories now allows you to choose certain resources or values and then apply set rules to them to allocate them into the costs categories you've created. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a quick look at this and there are a, a few different ways that you can do it. So you basically choose a source, a target or targets rather, because if you were only putting it to one target, you wouldn't be splitting it, would you? And then you choose uh, a rule and the rules appear to be um, the kind of ones that we quite often suggest people use, whether that be by some sort of ratio, um, you know, by, sorry, proportion, as they call it, proportional mm-hmm. splits, um, fixed percentage or just even splits. So that, that makes a lot of sense to people, allows people to start breaking that stuff up. This has probably been getting done in spreadsheets until this point or just yeah. really kind of gray. Uh, and now we've always said to people, just make a rule. You can iterate on this rule at a later date and then put that into your into your kind of tactics and strategy, what you change. But just make a rule and follow that rule for a while. And at least, you know, you know the, the strengths and weaknesses of the rule, but things are getting allocated. Yeah. So, and on this one, I I like the fact that they are really caring. AWS seems to be really caring all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but in the recent time about FinOps allocation costs. So more on the financial side of things, it is still quite, for me, it's quite confused. So you have the PO one and you need to put rules there and you have the, <laughs> this other one and you need to put rule there and you have the budget one. The, the cost part uh, is quite scattered around. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, they are, I agree. You, you start finding that there are lots of pieces which are extremely interesting and gathering them all together is probably something worth looking at, especially yeah. if you're in a company, in a big company, allocating cost talk with your finance pe- person, they are going to be extremely interested uh, yeah. about cost allocation. Functionality is improving. Yeah. Usability is still somewhat problematic. Yes. Is that a diplomatic way of saying it? Oh, that's a very nice way of saying it. And <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I'm going to take the so next one, which in my list was number one. So, okay, it's about Redshift. So we completely changed the approach. And here it is, Redshift, extend automatic table optimization to support column compression and coding. So what they mean by that, and I find it very useful, is that you are each column 
that you have in a table and assuming this is redshift, so that might be petabytes. So it's quite important. You can compress. And sometimes, by the way, by compressing things in a, in a database, you can access it faster because there is less space to, or less bytes to go through to connect things. What is interesting in this one is that the algorithm will continuously look at the content of the column and eventually change the, alg the compression algorithm if another one is better. So also, if they introduce a new algorithm of compression that is better than in the past, it will automatically apply being applied to all the columns and it makes sense to, which mm. is extremely powerful because yeah. all of a sudden it, there is progress that can happen there. Without and you having to do anything. Exactly. So that is really, really nice. Pretty sure you need to do an alter table name and code out or something. So you'll have to change all your tables, but that can easily be scripted if you are <laughs> your DBA. Absolutely. Frank is right. He was meant to start. And so I've thrown it all off kilter. Here's another one, Frank. Um, and uh, the next one is kind of a joint one, which yes. in, is actually in August. But um, there's a big happy birthday to Amazon EC2 because it's 15 yeah, years 15 old. 15 years and only 15 years, really. Mm. How, how long ago do you think you started using EC2? <gasps> Uh, I think it's probably 10 years, nine, 10 years, really. Mm, it was six for me. I'm a baby. <laughs> Comparison. I remember, turning, I think my AWS, my the current one I have is still 2012, something like this. <laughs> so I have a track record of, uh, that's when I, that was my, my first or second AWS account. But yeah, and it was just 15 years ago. It was the AWS EC, Amazon, sorry, EC2 beta. Yes. So might have not been even involved onto that, but yeah, it is. Yeah, they started with the complicated name conventions early, didn't they? Yes. <laughs> it wasn't something that developed. It was from the beginning. Oh, yeah. And one interesting thing, which uh, when you study the curl, it's all you will see that, for example, they, I think the it, it sounded like they, they only assumed, AWS only assumed that they will have one region because you don't have all those numbers. Yet. If you look at the curve for North Virginia, you, you can see that <laughs> the expansion was not planned from day one. Mm. <laughs> so, so they were not, they were unsure of success. But yeah, mm. we now know that it is a total success. So, so you had EC2, EC2 2006, EBS 2008, yeah. then the kind of auto scaling hit in 2009. And that I think is really early. People might not realize that, but 12 years ago that people were, you know, auto scaling was pretty. Pretty cool. Then VPCs uh, also came out in 2009, which I think people just think is a is a given now because they're yeah. such a crucial part. But that was that was very new, wasn't it? Um, yeah. And then then there was nothing. Well, instance types start in 2006 as well to present. But yeah, it's interesting just kind of going through some of the history. Um, it's another good article from from Jeff Barr as as always. Um, but yeah, happy birthday to uh, EC2. EC2. And yeah, you're just reminding me that I probably was there between 2006 and 2008 because I was very frustrated that you could only have an ephemeral storage, that there was no mm. real storage. I was so pissed off at the time. So that's totally useless. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. You're you a, 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 an older AWS user than you, uh, you thought. Um, oh right. So the next one is on me, which is Amazon MSK which is managed streaming for Apache Kafka, uh, adds metrics for increased visibility of capacity. Um, so 
the reason we've called this one out is uh, you know if you read the the FinOps handbook, uh, which is brilliant, you read about the uh, the Prius effect, and we're basically if people can see in real time in front of them the efficiency of the car, they'll drive more efficiently. And so anything where you're seeing efficiency in a better way, more visibility, I think is always worth calling out for FinOps. So being able to see more metrics and more um, kind of real data behind how you're using your Kafka um, service or clusters, however you want to call it in this case, with it being a managed service, uh, because there's 19 new metrics. And this will hopefully allow people to start making even better decisions, work out exactly what they need to be using. And so we'll help people with their uses optimization of working out whether they've got this, you know, the, the service right, how well optimized it is. So that should, you know, with visibility, hopefully come savings. Yay. So, well, yes, usually that's how it works. So let's, next one is really about completely different. It's a pure cost reduction. So price reduction, sorry. So it is 32% price reduction for Amazon Textract. And so, and I had to read it because I've never yeah, used Textract. Say, but, please tell uh, us text- all about Textract, Frank. <laughs> yeah, so I know everything about Textract because I just looking at it at the moment, but yeah, now overall, the idea of Textract is this kind of, as the name strangely indicates, it's extraction of text. So it's like, the basic thing is the OKR, which is simply transforming uh, the, the text, the image, text into an image to a text. But in this case, it also does some elaboration, finding the table, recognizing images, and being able to then uh, work that out and create more value out of those texts. So you know, it's not just trying to transform an Im- a text on an image into text. It's also really identifying this is a title, this is a subtitle, this is just a footnote, and all these kind of aspects. So really, it seems to be very interesting. Um, it was introduced at reInvent 2018. I think 2018 was one of the best reInvent for features. Mm. Uh, and so now that's extract, if you're using it, or if you want to try it, it is uh, vastly discounted. Fantastic. I don't know what's really bad is I'm pretty sure I did a podcast back in the day on the releases from 2018, but there were so many, I don't know even remember if that got a mention because I believe that's the same year that my favorite service came out, Frank. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. I think Ground Station was 2018, unless I'm going to mix it up and that's 2017, but I think that was 2018. It was a really great year. And I think set us up to maybe be a little bit disappointed with following years where you know they've they've already done everything (laughs) there's not that many new things they can do i think last year was things like well not last year year before was things like prometheus anyway moving on we've got a little bit of a section that's going to be quite similar um but with different services so i'm introducing that uh efs elastic file system has introduced intelligent tiering to automatically optimize storage costs we've seen intelligent tiering um I think that was released in 2018, actually, off the top of my head, in S3. Uh, yes, which, it is. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Yes, it, that year, I remember the podcast. Um, so it's now hit EFS. EFS, a brilliant uh, solution for those people um, not 
okay with it, especially if you want to have a shared file system uh, used heavily in e-commerce where you want um, something to sit behind things that are being scaled. Um, so we used it heavily in, in my previous role. Uh, there's a lot of lot of big companies using it. They have created, and I think we've talked about previous in this podcast, two new classes, which is uh, infrequent access, very similar to how, um, how it works in S3, and single zone if I remember correctly, or one zone, sorry, it's one zone it's called. Uh, and now what they're allowing, well, by switching this on, what will happen is it will automatically move your data around, a bit like how it used to be in like if you had a three-fast sand, move around so that it fits into the best place, whether it should be one zone. I'd imagine you probably have to say that you're willing, willing for it to be one zone, or I don't know how it would work out that it should be in one zone, um, but certainly infrequent access makes sense to easily jump into that. The article talks about up to 92% cost saving on using infrequent access versus um, versus normal EFS. I mean, I think everything's got to be pretty perfect for you to hit that. You know, you have to access it once only over a period words. of time. But, you know, there are things that probably live there that you're not frequently accessing and you're probably paying more than you have to. So we see this as a great thing. I would anticipate people will see, you know, 20, 30% reduction in their EFS costs if they have a large EFS volumes, uh, you know, really could land anywhere. So great to see this is happening. It's another automated service. Another thing you don't have to worry about, just switch it on and hopefully enjoy the benefits. Cool. And yeah, roughly the same for the next one is on the S3. So they launched S3 intelligent tiering updates. So there are some updates. So as Steve said, it was released in 2018, but now they're adding. So intelligent tiering, had some limitation. It was really starting kicking in when you, something was uh, staying on S3 for more than 30 days. And also you needed to have a certain size, which was quite small, 128 kilobytes. But when you are, for example, having a collection of GIF files mm-hmm. or just Word documents or documents in general, that might, not, that might be quite still in that below 128 kilobytes. So that's those two limitations are removed. So now S3 intelligent tiering will not require a minimum of 30 days in S3 to be considered for intelligent tiering. And the second thing is that the monitoring and automation charges are not going to be collected for objects smaller than 128 kilobytes. So you can have 128 kilobyte files being moved around, but still there will be no charges there. Brilliant. Brilliant. Right. So I'm moving on to staying in the storage world. Um, we can announce general availability. And by this, I, I mean, on the 3rd of September, we can announce general availability <laughs> for Azure files uh, supporting storage capacity reservations for premium, hot and cool tiers. Um, the reservations, and I have a feeling in one of the podcasts we're going to do, we talk about this again and that maybe the numbers have changed. <laughs> but as of the 3rd of September, you can buy capacity reservations in units of 10 and 100 um, terabytes, I assume it is. Um, so the the pricing is is reduced. Uh, you achieve a discount on it. I think it's, it's a little bit variable. Um, but the, uh, the the benefits are hopefully clear. If we look at the kind of concept of FinOps, it is a um, rate optimization available now in Azure, and it can be done without needing to speak to an account manager, which is great. Yes, and staying in Azure, uh, it's a pl- public preview, so my break. 
that's how I read it. Uh, but you can now scale down nodes in AKS. So the idea is now you can you can choose if you want nodes to be deleted or deallocated uh, on your Kubernetes cluster. That's really useful because now it can. It was used to only be able to scale up. Now it can also scale down. The other interesting aspect of that is that when it, even when it scales down, it keeps the images uh, on the node so that if there is a back, uh, it needs to be scaled up again soon. The images are already on the node and it is so a much faster recovery or scaling up than, uh, it's like a hot uh, scale up. So it is really interesting to see that, yes, you can scale down, you're gonna save money, but the scale uh, scaling back up is gonna be extremely fast. So well done, that's a nice thing. Right, general availability, lower capacity reservation tier for Azure monitor dedicated clusters. This is why I got myself confused. This is where the numbers have changed. So you can now um, reserve from a lower level. It was 1,000 gig a day, which is significant. And now it's just 500 gig a day of, <laughs> of, really? logs, and data, yeah, <laughs> of uh, logs and data being ingested into the uh, into Azure Monitor, into the kind of uh, monitoring service, logging service that you've got. I mean, I'm guessing they have a lot of people not hitting the, the threshold. Yeah. I, I, this is still pretty high, but I guess they only want people really reserving it who make an impact to their capacity planning, which is obviously why you have these, you know, uh, rate-based optimizations available. So that is generally available. Uh, that was actually in August. And it's quite interesting how Azure is really pushing for um, reservations, capacity reservation of commitments in yeah. multiple services, including storage where, for yeah. example, other cloud providers are staying quite shy of that. They're going more about dollars, aren't they? It is different. You know, they've really gone for a different different route on it. Also, the fact that Azure have done five years on some services now. Yeah. So mm. you can see the enterprise customers, I think, also behind that. Yes. <laughs> the, the, the target. Cool. So mine is then is AWS Cool Build now support a small ARM machine type which I totally uh, like. So it's going to be based, obviously, on strings that they don't see it in the title, the Graviton process processes. Uh, the, it's very interesting. So code build is a tool that executes scripts, really. Normally, it's for building uh, your uh, instance of building code. So it will get something from Git, elaborate it in some form or way, and then push it back elsewhere. The interesting thing is that code build can also be used, for example, uh, uh, for other things. I use it for my uh, Hugo static blog, and it's quite interesting because so it downloads my blog, creates a Docker container, elaborates it, and then publish everything. Then just dies, and this is a very small activity that I'm uh, that I'm doing, and yes, benefiting from a very small uh, CPU machine with a uh, cheap CPU is very positive for me. Absolutely. Yeah, nice thing. I'm going to try that probably tomorrow. Super. Right. Um, flying on, talking about lovely Gravitons, Amazon RDS now supports the T4G instances for MySQL, MariaDB, and Postgres or PostgreSQL. Uh, we've talked a lot about the Gravitons. We've not really talked about the T4s, no. um, which kind of flew under the radar 
but they, as people know who know their, their instance types, they're the burstable capacity. So you've got the, the benefit of cost and potential performance on the Graviton in general. You're not having to handle the move away from an x86 to make it work on RDS because that's part of the managed service for you, uh, which is you know wonderful. And you're now getting that great burstable capacity for when you don't need a bigger instance most of the time, you can just burst up and use your, um, your CPU hours. Uh, burstable CPU hours. So really great to see that. Yes. Um, you know, it's, I, I, what I like here is this particular sentence. Uh, AWS Graviton 2 processors are based on 64-bit ARM Neoverse cores and custom silicon designed by AWS for optimized performance and cost. AWS Graviton processors deliver seven times more performance, four times more compute cores, five times faster memory, and two times larger classes uh, caches versus uh, first-generation AWS Graviton processors. So they have really jumped the Graviton 2s versus their own. What I like there is that they're comparing to the previous Gravitons. Mm -hmm. They're not comparing to the others. But, I, you know, give them a go, guys. We we really uh, rave about them a lot. And now you've got the, the burstable type, which we think is brilliant. Yes, and I think the, the burstable approach for database is quite interesting if you, are, if you don't have a production thing. If you have... As quite often, you store your data there. You store your data in the database, and you regularly have, you regularly have a, a batch process that go through that or an ATL process. That's when you're going to use the burstable capacity. That's just absolutely brilliant. Uh, I, I remember getting on T2s, RDS, mm -hmm. even on hundreds Micros? of million of rows. I was getting sub-second reply for for quite complex queries. So yeah, really try that out. I think it's going to be brilliant. Agreed. Which one is next? Auto terminate. Next is mine. So it is the EMR. So now we have a AWS again. Now auto terminate idle EMR clusters to lower costs. So again, it is a very clearly uh, a very clear feature for lowering cost. And so when you use a big data platform, when you use EMR for big data platform, you're going to have lots of things all over the place. Let's put it that way. And the idea is that EMR can turn things off when they are idle uh, is extremely powerful. What is checked to, to see if it's idle is not really said, it's just say multiple uh, aspects, but the, the savings can be quite important because it's very easy for big data to go big, as the name indicates, but that it's usually very hard to go small. So that would really help. Nice. Um, continuing on my Graviton 2 theme, AWS Lambda functions powered by AWS Graviton 2 processors run your functions on ARM and get up to 34% better price performance. Well, there we go. We know exactly why I've brought this up. Very similar to what we said previously, apart from we're not talking about the, um, the burst, just talking about moving um, Lambda onto uh, the Graviton 2s, which were actually designed for Lambda, to my understanding, you know, for the serverless architectures. Yes. Um, and um, they are designed to live up to 19% better performance and 20% lower cost. And that's when they um, when they compact those together, they get your 34%. Um, so it's, you know, hopefully pretty straightforward. Uh, yeah. Give them a go. Yeah, and the, the very interesting thing, it, it can be really from a flip uh of a, of a button, you just you just select an option button, and that yeah. tells you want to use the Air uh, ARM sixty four. Uh, it that's possible with uh, 
serverless, obviously for non-compiled things. So when you provide the code and then the code is compiled. So if you use anything that AWS provides default when you can just upload the code and the rest will be managed, it is going to be working really well. So if you are Python, Node.js, if I remember correctly, Golang, all this kind of thing, you can just upload the the code and you don't care if it is compiled on Graviton or on anything else. You don't really, it's not important. Uh, If you're going to use your own Docker image, uh, for Lambda, that's probably where you want to make sure it's going to be a little harder, but it's a completely different story. So yeah. leverage that using the AWS standard languages, and you're going to be all good, and it's a very simple thing to do. Yeah, it's, it's a really good blog, actually, by, uh, by Danilo. So well worth having a, a read if you want to see how to flip across and, and what it looks like as well. He's, he uses pictures, which helps people like me. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, you had another one, I think. Well, yeah, I just felt bad because we've not brought up Google because there was nothing in the news. And I have to say, it's probably it's getting a bit harder to to find stuff just by the way that they're now presenting it. So it's probably on us, and apologies to, to anyone at Google. Um, but there is a really nice um, blog, or, well, it's a guide, really, on how to save money by uh, automating uh, VM management with suspend and resume. I know we've talked about that feature in the past, but well worth having a look. It was written by... Um, Yanni Patokalio, uh, and it, it you know really explains how you could easily do it and some of the benefits. So well worth a read. And that's that. That's everything I've got. Yeah. So now I just wanted to add something. As you've heard, we 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 know how to get the information very well for AWS. We I would love to have some more information for Azure and Google provided to us in an easy way. So if you can, if you know. If you care about FinOps and you are really an Azure or a Google person, just feel free to send things to us. Uh, we need to set up a contact thing, <laughs> but yeah. uh, that would be extremely useful. LinkedIn's for... an easy way of getting hold of us. Yes. Just find us on LinkedIn. Send the, the news when you find them. Publish. Just If you see I something guess. published, just, just add our names into it so we will yeah. pay attention. And that would hopefully help also create that community of FinOps, which I think is... Is building behind this podcast now listening yeah. to us really Can you imagine? exactly i mean so we go through all of the published articles on their sites where they talk about published articles or blogs uh, yes. which is a painstaking task we're not saying stop us doing that but maybe there's something you think hasn't got on there something that's a bit under the radar sometimes they're named funnily and so we don't realize because we have to scan through a lot of names and you know we kiss a lot of frogs before we get to the ones that we actually uh we share with you um so yeah anyone wants to do that also if you are an azure enthusiast please contact us uh, because we are about to do a, a one on Azure free tier. And we've told before, it's kind of our weakest area. We're coming up with some ideas. I've got the new one, actually, Frank, since last we spoke about what we can use some of the free tier stuff for. Um, but we would love to have a proper expert coming on. And we're really also hopeful to have um, someone come on and talk to us about the the history of the, the FinOps Foundation in our November. I think that's going to be in November. Um, not that it's November now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, so we're going to have some quite interesting topics coming up. Uh, this time, we just felt we had enough uh, news, although there's still a lot of news for um, for October and November. So, you know, great time to be to be learning about FinOps. Yeah, you, you just say that we are in November by just stating that we have news in November. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. And I think people know by the fact that we're actually releasing this in November. We're probably uh, doing it in November, even though I said at the beginning, I'm not going to say when. I think people probably worked it out. They're pretty smart. Oh, yes, they are. Okay, thank you very much, everyone. That was another episode, all based on news. We had lots of news, really good stuff. It shows that, yeah, 
FinOps is becoming a topic that big cloud providers are uh, thinking about and creating features for. So, yeah, we we are we're on something that's going to be really interesting there. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Frank. Great to speak to you as ever. Hey, same here. Have a fantastic rest of the day. Thank you.